We really do dissect them, each blend, almost as if they were wines and that level of, we like complexity. We like layers. We like the aromatics on it to smell beautiful, you know? And And yeah, lots and lots of things don't cut it. We we can take the best barrels out of the, all of them and put them together and <laughs> go, they, that's crap. Yeah. <laughs> Our favorite barrels, put it together and go. That's now, terrible. That, that's not going to work. You think it makes sense. I right? take but, a lot of notes and you know, sometimes you've got undrinkable <laughs> period. And once in a while you go, now that's delicious. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or there's just hearts all around it in my, in my book. Typically how big it's, are It's the, funny because that's what my tasting notes are. I put hearts around the stuff that he makes for me too. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Every once in a while, you run across a brand that has captured lightning in a bottle. For me, I see that as old Carter. Mark and Sherry Carter, they join the show to talk about their extensive background in the wine industry, but how bourbon eventually captured their interest and became a new passion. Though Mark knew how to build a highly rated wine brand, entering the bourbon world brought some new challenges. Mark and Sherry connected with another past guest of our show, Dixon Deadman, and they launched Kentucky Owl until it sold to Stoli. But after the sale, they stayed focused on creating super premium bourbons to target the whiskey aficionado. If a barrel didn't suit their ideal flavor profile, they would just put it back in the rick rather than compromise any quality. But that's also not the complete story without a bit of legal trouble because the Carter name has been no stranger to lawsuits, so stick around to hear that one as well. With that, enjoy this week's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Gary Dunnow, who writes me on fredminnick.com. What is your opinion of Infinity Blends? Are they uber whiskeys that create the ultimate level of complexity, or do they simply dilute the original complexity of the contributing whiskeys by blending too many flavors into one liquid cornucopia? Great question there, Gary. I gotta say, I early on with Infinity Blends, I was like, oh, God, this is lame. This is another like attempt of trying to be cool in uh in, in bourbon and we're by the way we're talking 10 years ago so this is this is not recent when i had this like curmudgeon kind of opinion and then i had a dusty in a in a decanter and i made the mistake of thinking that it was uh it was an old forester and i poured an old forester and then when i realized i had made the mistake and this was like an old granddad or something like that and I tasted it, so I had like a, a vintage product in there from like the 80s and a modern old Forester in this decanter, and I tasted it, and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then I was like, huh, I wonder what would happen if I put four roses in here. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then I was like, oh, I wonder what would happen if I put in MB Roland, which at the time, MB Roland was not a brand that really anybody knew anything about. I happened to be friends with Paul Tomaszewski, so I poured that in there, and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I just kept doing that. And I was like, I, and I kept finding myself like in this never ending, oh my God, this is amazing. Or, oh, this could be better. Like this quest of just adding stuff in there. And it reminded me, it reminded me a lot of when I was a kid 
we would go into a restaurant and we would there would be a fountain there and I would fill my glass up with every one of the every one of the sodas and I swear to god there is not a better moment for you as a 9 or 10 year old kid than when you're mixing uh Sunkiss with Coca-Cola and Dr Pepper and whatever else was there it was just an amazing moment your belly felt horrible after but it was an amazing moment at 9 or 10 and I just, I had that same kind of feeling. So I love the Infinity Blends now. So I've revised my old curmudgeon ways because I experienced it. And I think if you are putting good product in there, it's going to be good on good. If you're putting shitty product in there, it's going to be shitty on shitty. So just be mindful of what you're pouring in there. And, you know, don't be afraid to break out something good and slap a little Michter's Toasted Barrel or Stag Jr. in there. You just never know, man. You just never know what kind of flavors that you will get when you're mixing all that stuff in the Infinity Bottle. And here's the thing, too. Only you can make that for yourself, you know. And and don't keep records. I, I, I mean that, too. Don't keep records. Let yourself go with it. Have fun and enjoy the moment. So much of whiskey is enjoying the moment. And the minute you get away from not enjoying that one little moment... You know, whiskey is then becomes like an equation. And if you're a mathematical person, you know, maybe you need do need to write down the equation. But for me, I just like to let it ride. That's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you want to be like Gary Dunnow, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button. And if I like the idea, I'll read it on the air. Till next week. Cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's another episode of Bourbon Pursuit coming at you. Kenny and Ryan down here, and we're going to really talk to some people that we've had the pleasure of meeting. I remember the first time that we met them, at least that I met them, I believe it was 
at maybe the Brown Hotel or somewhere around I think there. That was the first place we met. Him. It was because I remember somebody said that, oh, their your Pursuit Series bottle is is now at the Brown. We're like, oh, we go over there. And we're like, oh my gosh, and we all just like had an opportunity to all meet each other. At one That's point. right. Our package guy was there at the Brown, and I think he was like supposed to have. He was like courting us first, and then he was like <laughs> having drinks with you all, and then so like. I think we ended up just crashing each other's party and hanging out at the Brown. It was a fun time. And then now I feel like I stumble into them everywhere, even <laughs> on the street. And I'm like, just stop them and like, you know, pick their ear on something. They're great folks who we've learned a ton from. And I'm really excited to get to learn more about them because uh, there's, you know, we've had small talks here and there, but I'm really excited to deep dive into their their story and how they got to this point. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of the very unique ways of, of being able to get here because there's not a lot of people that start off as saying like getting into the, the wine space and then moving into bourbon. It, it seems like very anti what you would think of, of getting into something like that. Cause I mean, granted it's, it's wine versus spirits or anything else, but I think there's, there's going to be a lot of synergies because there's a lot of wine drinkers that are out there. And I think that's really going to see exactly where our guests, where they kind of like found everything and then how it all kind of really translated back into bourbon because there's even more mutual friends that come into here when we talk about people like Dixon Deadman and all these other kind of folks and and how all these worlds really start kind of colliding. It's a true Kentucky story, you know. It just <laughs> it, it all connects and leads back to each other, so, you know, I'm I'm excited to share it. Yeah. So, or, or not share it, learn about it. Yeah, let's learn about it. Yeah. We're we're not going to we're going to asking all the questions. That's, That's right. what happens. So today on the show, we have Mark and Sherry Carter. They are the co-founders of the bourbon brand. You've probably seen it on the shelves everywhere, Old Carter. So Mark and Sherry, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for thank having you for, us. Yeah, thank yeah. you yeah. for inviting us. Yeah. <laughs> no, awesome to have you here. It's been a while. I mean, been a while coming. I mean, we've been trying to do this for a while, so I'm excited. We're here in the flesh together. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. We're yeah. glad too. Yeah. So let's let's roll back the, the hands of time here real quick. Before we started getting recording, Mark kind of gave us a little bit of background on, on sort of how you got into the wine and industry and stuff like that. And I'm sure growing up, and let's let's focus on bourbon just a little bit, but was bourbon ever on your radar growing up? Was that ever something that was kind of on your path, or was it just like all wine, wine, wine? For me, it was wine because uh, one half of uh, my mother is Italian, so we drank a lot of wine at dinner, not so much bourbon. And especially being on the West Coast, it wasn't something we, we had very often, you know, maybe gin or something like that. In those days, especially, bourbon had kind of like not been in fashion for a while. Yeah. And so, all right, so let's let's fast forward a little bit then. So kind of talk about the wine days. You'd kind of talked about you had started uh, with a restaurant and then trying to build a wine list. Like, let's kind of give folks the, a little bit of the background on, on how you started building up this category. Well, I built a, a house that became an inn. And uh, so I became an innkeeper and I was a chef for about nine years at the restaurant and the restaurant kind of grew uh, into a 35 seat restaurant, a bar, and I really got into wine and I was the wine buyer and the spirit buyer for the restaurant. And uh, pretty soon I had a wine list that was like 4,000 wines on it. And uh, trying and to get, was this in the Napa area? Is that correct? this is in Humboldt County? Okay. Uh, before we got to Napa, we were in Humboldt and uh, a little place called Eureka, California, and that kind of grew from a three bedroom inn to actually a 34 bedroom inn and a restaurant 
one of the things that ended up happening was uh, since I was buying all these wines, I was looking to get a grand award from a magazine called Wine Spectator. And in fact, we finally got one in 98. But buying everybody else's wine, I really wanted to make my own wine. And I was fortunate enough to make some wine in 98 also. And that was uh, the beginning of our wine career. What was that bottle you were trying to get to carry? That was the 98 you were trying to carry that bottle. Is that what you're saying? That's I was trying to make a, you know. A, oh, you're trying make to make it. Trying gotcha. It so uh, uh, it took me ten years to get somebody to say they'd make wine for me, and that was Nils Vingi, and the guy that made the first hundred point in America with uh, Robert Parker, and he finally said yes in '98 to make make wine for me, and so that, that was kind of a, a wonderful day. Only problem I, I didn't know at the time that you uh, he was not going to give me the grapes to make the wine. And I was fortunate enough with like, like how's this work? <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm a winemaker with no grapes. <laughs> yeah. He said, no, no, you got to go find your own grapes, bring your grapes here and I'll make you know wine for you, Mark. And so I was fortunate enough about a week later, I was at my own hotel and restaurant and a guy came in and was buying all these really nice wines off the list and kind of made our night. And I, I went over and met him and um, he had a brand called Schrader and Colgan Schrader. I sat and drank wine with him till four o'clock in the morning. And he finally says, you ever think about making wine? I said, yeah, I just have a problem. I don't have any grapes. And he just happened to have some grapes. And he said, you can have my contract. And so I got, got the contract from him. That was the Coliseum. And so now I had the grapes and I had the What's winemaker. Coliseum? Is that like a farm or? It is a vineyard. A vineyard. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sure. And so uh, we were able to make wine in 98. And that kind of led to us buying a winery together in 2006. And we still have the winery and we still have the hotel and restaurant, actually. Talk about contracts. So like, do they have, you know, that's on a vineyard, do they have a, their specific grapes that you go and source or you're like, no, I have this plot of land. I can do whatever I want with it. Well, it works both ways. Uh, we do have our own grapes that we do everything we want. We just are replanting after about 25 years um, is kind of the life expectancy of a, a vine. But we do buy grapes from a lot of other people. So we are able to tell them what we want and when we get to pick, but uh, they're really good at raising the grapes and, you know, they're growers. And so we get the fruit when we want it and we tell them what day we want it picked. And it has to be, everything just has to be perfect. It has to be the right, you know, kind of ripeness, the right acid, the right pH. And so we bring it to the winery and that's when we make the wines there. And it takes about 18 months for a, a red wine or a Cabernet in barrel, uh, and then we bottle it and release it. So the other thing that I'm, I'm going back to here when we think about this is that you were you were building a catalog of over four thousand wines to be in your in your menu. Now that is that is a lot of different wines. I mean that is that is skew monstrosity right there. So at what point do you go? I think I could do this myself. I'll be four thousand and one, and I'll make a I'll make a good good impression out of this. Like. That that for me, like it would seem daunting. Like it would be like, how do I go against Goliath? Well, one of the things that happens too is they start doing these allocations, and you can't get any wine from them, and so that kind of upsets a lot of people, you know. And I said, well, I'll show them. I'll go make my own wine. <laughs> that's, that's weird. <laughs> I, I, after I, you taste, it sounds all just these like wines. the bourbon industry. You got tired of chasing allocator releases, so you start your own. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and so when you did that, did you have an idea of? of what you wanted your brand to really be and what it wanted to stood for. Like, how do we find the price point? How do we figure out where do we fit in the realm of 
whether it's premium, whether it's every day, like how, how did you build that brand? I think we, I want to make sure we don't downplay the significance of what your, your really? brand has really been in the wine world. Thank you. When I do something and Sherry comes along, we do something together. All we want to do is make the very best, you know, which would be a premium, ultra premium. My goal when I started making wine was actually to make a hundred point wine. You know, I wanted to make the very best. And there was a scale that told you, and there was a couple of reviewers out there. And uh, we were fortunate enough that we did get a hundred point wine in 2002. And since then, we've been fortunate enough. They, uh, three different critics have given us a total of 14 100 point wines. So what, what do you think attributes to a hundred point wine? Is it the, the grape variety, the harvest, or is it the winemaker's ability to discern between different grapes and blend them together. Uh, I'm just curious to hear from you all on what you think creates such a, like a magnificent wine. I think flavor, you know, if it, it has to taste great and maybe true somewhat to its varietal, but sometimes varietals are grown in different places. So it also has to be true to its place. So Sherry, when do you kind of come in the picture here too? I know we, we kind of talked to, yeah. we could give him, we give Mark a little bit of talk here about his background, but let's, let's talk about your background too. All right. <laughs> so, uh, How much time you got? Uh, yes, exactly. So I grew up actually in Northeastern Ohio and studied there, studied art, had an incredible opportunity to do a lot of traveling through studying art. So I spent a couple semesters abroad. Did Amsterdam was very interesting. And then I lived in Perugia, Italy. And I also had lived in England and traveled around Ireland and, and that and a little bit of France for a while. So when school was over, I decided that I, I needed to figure out right where I wanted to plant a route here in the good old USA. And so I moved to the West Coast. And that was in 1998, actually, unbeknownst to me, right when Mark was making his first wines. And I landed out there, and I had a very uh, interesting job at the time. I was working for the Humboldt County Convention and Visitors Bureau, and that's how I met Mark, through the hospitality and tourism industry. And Mark was very into wine at the time and had not had bourbon really before. And that's what I drank. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I was about to say, he knew wine, but did you like wine? Or um, I loved of... wine. Yeah. I loved wine. Of course, I was in some of the great wine regions of Italy, and, and I knew nothing about wine at the time. So those occasions were kind of lost on me in my 20s, but I certainly caught up pretty quickly after that. I also was very into wine um, when I first met Mark, and I was going to a tasting group on Monday nights, which was a very cutthroat all-male group of guys, and we did blind tastings every Monday night. And you brought your bottle in a decanter, and it was quite the game. And so you had to guess producer, varietal, vintage if you could. And that was how I built a really incredible, I did that for four years, and I built a really solid wine library of aromas and, and flavors. And a lot of that's in the book that I gave you guys. Which is Daily Decadence, The Art of Sensual Living. Yes, correct. So that book, it's a storybook with literary recipes. And after each recipe is a wine tasting note that came from those days. So, of course, I meet Mark and he has the best restaurant in town, the most incredible hotel. It looks like a beautiful little hotel that you'd find in Europe. It's absolutely beautiful. And 
start doing more wine drinking and also taught him about Manhattans. <laughs> uh, so I did, uh, yeah, I did wine and whiskey for, for a while and actually produced a little bit of wine myself for about what? Eight years, seven years. Yeah. Sure. He had a brand and it's called Ruby Courant and we made it to the winery. Yeah. And uh, had a lot of fun with had, it. Had a ton of fun. Mostly it was Syrah and Grenache blends. Yes. Oh, so my wife would like that one. Yeah. She loves both those. Yeah. So that was really fun. And um, and then we segued into whiskey through all th- kind of three of those um, channels because we were at an innkeeping conference yeah. in 2011. Well, what happened kind of was crazy. It was, uh, you know, the after we bought the winery in 06, we were looking for custom crush clients because we weren't making enough money to make the mortgage payment. So we had to figure out something to do. So we started making wine for other people. I'm asking all these innkeepers. I had been on an innkeeping board and met a, a guy by the name of Chuck Deadman, And he was the president. I was the chairperson or a treasurer for this group. And it was 400 inns around America. And I said, well, maybe they would like some wine. I can make a little red wine, a little white wine for them. And um, asked everybody and only one guy stepped forward. And that really, truly was Dixon Deadman. Wanted a little red wine, a little white wine for his, his little tavern and restaurant at the Beaumont Inn. And uh, we started talking and I, you know, I go, well, you know, we're kind of making a ultra premium wine. We're not making a wine by the glass. And uh, your dad told me a story, you know, like uh, 30 years ago that you guys used to make bourbon. And by this time, you know, Sherry had introduced me to bourbon. I like bourbon. And I said, well, maybe we should make your, bring your brand back, you know, a Kentucky Owl. And he says, we could do that. And we said, we can do anything we set our minds to. <laughs> yes. So we brought back Kentucky Owl, and the three of us did a, a, a great job of blending together and working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to step back a little bit. So you, you said you introduced bourbon to Mark. How did you get introduced to bourbon? Well, I worked for a photographer when I just graduated from high school, and my, we didn't drink bourbon at growing up. My dad was a beer drinker, and my mom liked wine. So I, you know, I was not exposed to it really at all. Neither grandfather even drank bourbon. But I worked for this photographer, and he's he's Greek, and she's um, from the U.S., and they're, they're a married couple. And um, I thought they were just really cool people. <laughs> and I, um, they, as a designer, them. as an artist, I was just like, yes. I was like, whatever you're doing, that's work. I want to do. I want to do that. So Patricia would, when we go out, we became very close friends as well as as coworkers or my being their employee. Um, we'd go out, and Patricia would always start anytime we went out to dinner with a with one Manhattan. She'd always have a Manhattan, and I didn't. I was not even old enough to drink yet. So by the time I turned twenty one, I was like. I know exactly what I'm going to order. <laughs> I'm sophisticated. I'm so sophisticated. Absolutely. So it wasn't was beer it a or wine. My girlfriends were like, like it was, I'll take a fuzzy navel shot. It was bourbon. <laughs> it was, no, no, I skipped that whole It was bourbon. That and, whole phase. And back then when we were doing it, it was Maker's it, Mark. It was Maker's Mark. Yep. Yeah. And that was a long time ago. That was like so, 20 some years ago. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And then we discovered 30 years ago that there was something actually called, you know, actually Booker's. And I said, what? Oh, that was later. Yeah. The Booker's yeah. came later. And, <laughs> I said, well, hell, that's like a drink and a half. It's like 120 yes, instead Mark, of like 90. Mark quickly, quickly <laughs> discovered that, you know, Maker's Mark Manhattans were really good, but he'd get more bang for his buck if he went 
went with that big proof. So yeah, then we, and more then flavor, it was on, too. then it was just on, and you know, you climb up the proof ladder and you, you get, can't come get back the end, down. End result faster. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're just efficient. Yes. So, and as a designer, um, when we did Kentucky Owl, we knew that we could put stuff together. We'd already been producing the wines. I was doing design work for that blending and, you know, we knew what the beverage industry was capable of. So it was really a really fun project. What was funny was, was well, how much more difficult could it be than putting wine in a bottle? <laughs> you know, it's, it's alcohol in a bottle. Exactly. That's, we were like, we got this. We've been we doing this forever. Yeah. yeah. We yes, can do so, this. <laughs> and then what was we, your first step? Like when you like, you're like, all right, we're going to re- revitalize this brand. Like, did they have whiskey or source or did you all have contacts to sort? Like well, talk, walk us through the whole process. Yeah. With Dixon, we, it uh, was a couple of different things. He was, that was a great story that, you know, that uh, the Kentucky Owl was all about, about going down the river and, you know, the 5,000 barrels and, you know, it never came back as it burned up in a, you know, the warehouse and, that was um, <laughs> quote yeah, quotes yeah. over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, went down uh, you know, to tale. New Orleans the or up to uh, you know Chicago. Exactly. But uh, you know Dixon was feet on the ground and had a great story. And, and I said, go look for some barrels, is what we said. You know, I got some money. You know, we we'll go buy. Let's go buy a hundred barrels. This is back in 2011. We didn't get the barrels until 2012. But, you know, and I said, Sherry can design labels. You know, she's been doing that. She does a great job. So we've got in-house artists and you know, art department. And I said, yeah, we can do. Department. Co- yeah. yeah. And your, a, and a, the. One. Hold, please. Yeah. Hold, please. Yeah. And the palette. Yeah. Designers in. Yeah. yeah. How can I help got you? got the palette, you know, from all those tastings, those yeah. tasting days. And then we, uh, uh, I said, we've got compliance because uh, the winery, we've been having to, you know, different states and all the things, getting licenses. And, and so we had uh, Dan who was uh, at the winery and he would uh, go ahead and get uh, all the things we needed to actually get the brand started. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot to, that goes into building a brand and, and building a building brand. I, I, I know I keep hearting back to this, this wine thing, cause it's just so intriguing to me is that when you did create it, the, the hard thing that I look at is you go into the big box stores of wines. You're just like, Oh, there's, there's so many. <laughs> yeah. So, so how did you look at it and say like, cause you've talked before and you said like, we're, we're mostly out of the gift shop, direct to consumer as much as possible. So how did you know that you could, like, there was the demand that was there that you could build out that kind of portfolio? Because right now we're going through this, this big boom of bourbon and we're going like, gosh, how many more brands could there really be on the shelves? But wine, it's like, yeah, you go to the wine section, you're like, well, maybe there's a lot more room to go because yeah. <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot out there. Uh, again, w- what we wanted to do with the wine was ma- you know, make that ultra premium, but we understood that you had to have great grapes to have great wines. And there were ones, and a lot of people didn't know this at the time, but uh, I hung around a lot of really great people that kind of mentored me and showed me what I should do is go get you know, a single vineyard grapes for uh, our wines. And we got on Tokelon in 2000, which was one of the greatest vineyards in the world. And, you know, Sherry once uh, helped me with this talk. She wrote the whole thing and it was for Wine Spectator. It was about 500 people. Yeah. Oh, please. Yeah. 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 Let me call three, my speechwriter. So, for speechwriter. Yeah. yeah. So we were, we <laughs> went to, to change this, my greeting. We went to this <laughs> Wine Spectator event and they were talking about this vineyard, Tokelon. There was four of us on this panel. I'm going to make and, you do it. And, You're going to do it? Yeah. I, right. I get to do it. You yeah. do it. All right. So, you know. I had to have a really uh, a great line uh, in this you know little talk we're doing, 
And I couldn't talk about myself, the guy said. That was uh, James Lobby. And he said, you can't talk about your mother or your father or anything else. You just need to talk about this vineyard. And so we came up with, we're all here for one reason. We're here because we love great wines. And great wines come from great vineyards. And Toklon is one of the greatest vineyards in the world. And that was a mic drop. There you go. Yeah. And we're out. That, that actually done. made it into the magazine. Yeah. Well, well executed. Well executed. <laughs> I like your style. And, and was the whole Tokalon thing, I mean, I know you said it was, was that the, at the restaurant or was that, that was Constellation, right? Or not Constellation. Was it Constellation? Constellation bought the, my, my friend's brand, which was the Schrader brand. Right. And he, I was trying to figure out like, where did the, oh, the, the Tokalon farm, thing? the that was with a C word, wasn't it? The, yeah, sorry. Coliseum. Coliseum. There we go. See, I'm getting all these C's mixed. So where, when did the, the Tokalon thing come into play? Like, how did you get hooked up with that? That was the uh, second. We were on the Coliseum needed to be replanted. That was, Mark got kicked off the Coliseum. That was, yeah. <laughs> he did. Yeah, I did, actually. Or, 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 bad behavior. So, oh, really? Yes. Okay. You want the backstory or what? Yes. I am new in town. <laughs> I don't know anything about making wine at this point and what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. So Fred had told me it was a five, you know, tons off of this Coliseum. Now, you know, Nils said, I'll make a couple of tons for you. So I was freaking out that he wouldn't make the other three tons, but I needed to buy the contract. So I buy all five tons and I'm telling some guy, I got an extra three tons. I'm not supposed to be brokering He's not grapes. Sub-brokering. He's not yeah. supposed to. I, I don't know anything about this, you know, uh, you know, the guy goes up there and starts sampling grapes. And the, you now Henry Hosfeld at the time goes- The owner said, of the vineyard. The owner of the vineyard. And he goes, oh, what are you doing up here? It, well, uh, they said I could- I'm uh, buying grapes from Mark Carter. <laughs> <laughs> or Nils Vingy. And the guy goes, he got so furious because it was a really low yield year. It was 98, very cool vintage. And what ends up happening is there's, there's not even two tons out there. There wasn't oh, enough no. to sell, but he, he remember that. And he goes, uh, I'm never going to sell grapes to you again. But it, I was lucky because they replanted the vineyard that year. And about two years later, I, I have okay. a new new winemaker. And the winemaker says, I know where I can get some grapes. Uh, over here at this uh, Coliseum, uh, Henry Hosfeld. <laughs> You're I like, said, good luck with that. I said, yeah, good luck <laughs> yeah, with that, yeah. Steve. And, but he liked Yeah, the, make sure my Jeff, name isn't yeah. on, the, on the contract. Can you just go by yourself? Yeah. <laughs> so Jeff Fontanella got us the grapes over there. And we started out again. And we've been making wine off that vineyard ever since again. And it, it's a great vineyard. It's a hillside vineyard. It's all rock. It's a crazy vineyard. But, you know... <laughs> Yes. So that was my first mistake in Napa. I love it, though. <laughs> so how do you... My, can, well, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, we want to hear about the second mistake. Well, you yeah. want to hear the second one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I haven't made that many after that. Oh, good. <laughs> the second one was I told everybody this was going to be the greatest wine ever made. Before the greatest vintage ever you know, recorded in history. <laughs> and so you don't ever do that either because then you really kind of jinx the entire you know, vintage. <laughs> the whole process. Yeah. yeah. And, and in fact... It was a bad year. (laughs) (laughs) You don't talk about spinach until it's in the bottle. It's undersell, over deliver, right? (laughs) Not oversell, under. Yeah. So I I want to, how do you compete? Uh, You know, because I've been, we talked about earlier how I went to Napa, and it's like, I mean, there's a ton of options. Just going to so many, there's like that road. I don't know what road is that you start in Napa and takes you north. I mean, there's like literally hundreds and hundreds of wineries. How do you like make your little niche in that? crowded segment, I guess. Yeah, I think the vineyards are a big thing. Yeah. You know, the vineyards we have are, you know, really besides... Super established. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of... A lot Super of, premium. 
great, uh, you know, ratings off of those vineyards. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people follow the ratings when it comes to wine. And those reviews meant so much to us, those early reviews and getting 100 points put us on the map. People come, you know, we have a really loyal following. People buy uh, the wines and just put it in their cellars a lot of times. So we don't see a lot of it out, um, you know, on shelves ever. And it I want to say something. It takes a lot of guts to make wine. It's it's gut wrenching work um, because you really are at the at the mercy of Mother Nature. I mean, we're so lucky. I feel that we are doing the, our bourbon and all of our whiskeys, but there's so much more room to create with bourbon because you got a bunch of barrels and you blend. With wine, you've got one crop that gets picked on one day a year, and that's it. And you got what you got. And of course, all of the vineyard management, the winemakers care, and you've got a fantastic winemaker now, Russell Bevan. So when something like that happens, I mean, let's say, let us say it's a, it's an off year. You go, "Eh, it's still pretty good. Like you got to sell it. Like, well, what do you do? You you count on your winemaker. Our our team is really good and they'll make the very best wine of that year. And we haven't even talked about wildfires. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is tough too. No, No, it's brutal. It's uh, a real thing. It is a real thing. It takes and a lot of heart. 17 was a terrible fire year and 2020 was a terrible fire year. And uh, a lot of people won't even hardly make wine those years sometimes. If it uh, was after the fire started, if it's before the fire and you got it in the house, you're probably okay. You know, you really won't have a problem, but they still kind of uh, downplay the entire vintage. And, you know, like a 2020 or 2017, you know, uh, those ratings went dropped by at least five points. We're fortunate enough, even in 2020, we just got a really nice review from uh, Jeb Dunnick, which uh, basically said that our, our, our 2020s were some of the best 2020s, 2020s out, there. out there. We tied uh, Spotswood for, a, uh, we got a 96-point wine for uh, the granddaddy, which is on the Tokelon Vineyard. And that's, for us, is, is really you know a wonderful thing that you should always buy the grapes. You should make the wine. If the wine's not up to your standard, you can always sell off the juice and you don't have to bottle it. But you should, with all the relationships you have in Napa, the farmer and all the people you employ, you should make the wine, you know. And uh, if people didn't, a lot of people didn't, and they didn't uh, honor their contracts. And we were supposed to make wine for a lot of people and they didn't bring the grapes and it cost us a, a lot of money and uh, a lot of friendships, you know, mm-hmm. I'll not be doing business with people that don't do what they say they're going to do. So it's called a contract for a reason, right? Yeah. That's, that's what it should be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you said you're, it's up to your winemaker. What can a winemaker do, I guess, with a bad vintage or, or it, and when you say a bad vintage, does that like industry wide or like region wide or is that just like farm to farm or region most of the time it's like napa valley or across the you know the mountain it might be sonoma and the temperatures and the climates or the fires are going to be just in one region most of the time so or up in washington state or down in southern california but with your winemaker he's so on it throughout the year so he's in that vineyard walking vineyard i love russell's approach to winemaking He's very hands-on, and he knows all every vine out there, I believe. Now, the cool part is he actually is making, we're making wines like we make, you know, bourbon. And yep. because every barrel is, you know, has a, 
a specific flavor and taste and aroma. And now we're blending those. In, um, a lot of wineries just dump it all in a tank and we're not doing that anymore. It's a lot more labor intense, but I think you're going to even get a better result out of those wines. What what impact does a barrel have on wine? It's, it's like, huge. It's huge. Yeah, like do they with, char them and do they toast them? Or? They're all toasted. You can get a okay. medium, a medium plus, a or a heavy toast. Yeah, like, yeah. We're, we're all learning here today. Yeah. <laughs> so you get a, different kinds of toasting levels. And, is it and they're all French. They're okay, all French I was about to say, oak. is yeah. it French oak is typically what it is? And then what's the usual aging process for something like that too? Uh, for us now, everybody wants kind of more fresh wines. The fresh wines are 18 months. We did fresh. do some. <laughs> so fresh. <laughs> we had some wines that we did at the very beginning and they were like Andy Carini wines. Remember, remember the wines we, you know, at 98 was actually like they just don't we put away for three years, you know, and those used to be called like a reserve wine because they would stayed in the cellar for longer, but you really can't afford to do that. And plus there's more things that can go wrong with the wine. But if it doesn't go wrong, it's delicious. It can be delicious. <laughs> is it just people like that because of the tannins or is that how you impart tannins onto the wine or is that through just a natural well, wine process goes, with the grapes? Wine goes through a little different process for its aging where it comes out of that barrel a few times a year. How many times? Four times? More? No, less. Uh, less. Usually it's either one racking or two rackings okay. um, to get it off the lees. You know, uh, when you crush the, the grapes, the juice goes into the barrel. All the leaves, which is kind of the hard parts, settle to the bottom of the barrel. and Chunks. Yeah. And sometimes okay. they can get to be the solids. really not a pleasant smell. So you want to get them off of those sometimes. Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes they'll leave them on there forever. Sometimes they don't rack at all. There's been barrels and yeah, But you really keep good wine topped. You don't want wine to evaporate. You don't want, you do not you want, want oxygen, oxygen in the barrel. Yeah. That's, that's the enemy. Yeah. Because yes. that's. You can get All back, kinds of stuff. Bacteria and everything else can be in there. So yeah. you always keep it as full as possible in a wine barrel. So imagine it coming out of those barrels and going back into barrel. So it gets comes out, gets married up in a tank, and then is re-entered. Okay. It's funny you say all that because now that I've had to go through and for our own business, kind of look at other barrel racking solutions and I keep running into stuff for wine. They're like, oh, we don't have to do this. You don't have to move it. It's just like, it's easily accessible to go and top it off. I'm like, why would I need to top off a whiskey barrel? And now I'm like, <laughs> now I was like, now I get it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but there, there could be something to it. Well, I mean, this is, this is great to kind of understand more about the wine and the background and stuff like that. So I want to start transitioning a little bit into the bourbon side. I know we kind of talked about how you started helping Dixon and really revitalizing that brand. And I'm sure at some point you said, okay, well, you know, it's, it's kind of its own baby now. It's kind of doing its own thing. And then at some point it got sold off to Stoli and, and whatnot. But then where did the idea come to start saying, hey, I think we should, we should do our own thing. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. I want to start transitioning a little bit into the bourbon side. I know we kind of talked about how you started helping Dixon and really revitalizing that brand. And I'm sure at some point you said, okay, well, you know, it's it's kind of its own baby now. It's kind of doing its own thing. And then at some point it got sold off to Stoli and, and whatnot. But then where did the idea come to start saying, hey, I think we should we should do our own thing? The next day. <laughs> the next day. <laughs> yes. Isn't that well, what, like after it got signed off to Stoli, you're like, yes. doing it? Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, we weren't looking to sell. Yeah, we did. That was the, the whole. We, we only sold because we said they said that we could start a brand. Yeah. You know, we there didn't we have a non-compete. Yeah. So, um, and it was a big, it was a, a unexpected and we weren't looking to sell and it happened quickly. And we'd only released six, six releases. So the first six bourbons only, no rise. That's all that went out to market. So we were very surprised, basically. And we just started having fun. <laughs> and yep. it was like, wait a minute. It was like, yep. it was like a country song. It was like, you know, we lost our dog, our house, our, and all <laughs> yeah. our whiskey in the same day. And we, uh, we loved everybody in Kentucky. We made so many friends out here yeah. that we said, oh, we ain't leaving. <laughs> no, we really enjoyed the process. And like I said, with, with wine being so intense to make, it was like, this is fun. Like, <laughs> let's do this. Let's keep going. Now, when you say intense, are you trying to say that, that <laughs> bourbon is, is least worrisome and less stressful than it is in the wine world? It, it, yes. It is. <laughs> okay. Yes. One word, yes. Yeah, yes. Kenny's never dealt with Mother Nature, so <laughs> yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't know what that means. Yeah, I guess so. He, he's in an office on the white screen. You know? Yes, yes. I do look at computer monitors all day long. <laughs> but so I guess, so the idea then, what do you start doing? Do you start calling brokers? Do you say like, hey, let's go buy some stuff? Do you have an idea of like what the brand is going to be? Like kind of talk about what that that genesis really becomes. Well, we didn't even know at the time, but we said we can do it again. And, you know, I looked at Sherry and I said, you know, because she was really sad. And I said, <laughs> she, was, really? she was crying. Yeah. She visibly upset to get a check handed to you and be like, oh, I don't really want to get yes. my baby. Yeah. yeah I don't even want to yeah. say what I said, you know, yeah. you shouldn't be so sad. You know, you just made a lot of money. <laughs> you know? I said, but we'll do it again. Yes. And then we had to figure out, because we had already tried to actually start buying barrels for Kentucky Owl yeah. and uh, to, because we didn't want to sell. So we had made some connections and uh, with some of the brokers and we started tasting barrels and uh, we said, yeah, we can make this work. And so we, we started, we bought a bunch of barrels ourselves and uh, just started over. Yeah. And the idea again is it's always super premium. Yes. yes. Right. Because that's, that's kind of been the thing that you really yes. hung around. Uh, yeah. we, it was very important to us to 
to continue with that tradition and never cut anything just like we, you know, had been doing. We, it didn't ever occur to us to make more money by adding water. Right. You Even know. though one guy told us, you know, you make a lot more money if you add some water. I said, we don't care about money. We care about friends. Yeah. <laughs> and people can do what they want with it. They can add their own water. But exactly. yes, we wanted to make something that was really um, special and do it our way. And um, we knew we'd create blends that were going to be one of a kind blends. And we'd started with rye thinking we've never done rye. Let's do rye. Yeah, because we had only done bourbon. Yeah, I said they won't mind. Were, were if you we all do part it. of the first Kentucky Ale Rise? Or no? Okay, we mm-hmm. didn't. We didn't know they were going to come out with Rise. I feel like they came out. Like, they came like out simultaneously. simultaneously. It was unbelievable. Complete That's just, coincidence. Yeah, truly. And so we uh, we put our Rise together, and I did all of the package design again on this one. And yes. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. It's funny you say that about the rye because I, I, I remember this vividly because there was the, the local liquor store around here that I go to and I frequent and we just got a bottle of old Carter rye in. I'm like, they're like, yeah, would you like this? I'm like, I don't know. It's like another source product. I don't know anything about it, but I've heard okay things. And I was like, all right, well, give me that. I'm going to go. I don't even know what I did. I did it in like a Facebook live. I put it head to head against something else. I can't remember. We did it. Yeah. I remember drinking it down here in a Facebook live and we were like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I was just because I, I forget what we put it against. So it was one of the big top six. It was one of the top six rise that yeah. was out there. You know, when I say big six, you know, the big distilleries out there and we tried it and I'm like, well, it's better than this one. And, <laughs> and, and that's what I was like. All right. I guess, you know, you kind of showed, showed me what was wrong there. But I mean, that was one of the things like that was the first impression that I had of old Carter when I first had it. Sure. So when you are creating these and you try to make this super premium category, like what are you all looking for? Because the thing is, is that there's a lot of good barrels out there, but there's also some like not, not a lot of good barrels. And when you're working with brokers, you don't necessarily get to all good barrels. Exactly. So, (laughs) so how are you sitting there and going, well, this one cuts the mustard, this one, I don't know. Put it back in the warehouse and we'll wait a few that, more years. That's thousand. about that's about right, though. Yeah. Let's say if yeah. it doesn't it meet, or we'll look at each other and we go, nope. Mm, not, we're not thousands using this of one. hours of trial and error is what it is. I mean, it's just tasting barrels. Yeah, yeah. And hours and hours every, and hours of every barrel. Barrels. We taste every barrel, and then we taste as we add those barrels to our blend. Does it make it better, or do we pull back one I mean, out and put just, something else? Yeah, you know, do you countless like a, hours of, of. Do you have like a concept in your mind, or like a kind of like? profile i'm trying to hit or you just let each batch be kind of like its own thing like each what's your philosophy its own. they do take on their own you know characteristics but you'll always have you know in uh, old carter you'll have that richness you'll have that mouth feel you'll have some sweetness in there you know you'll have some length in there we want to have you know a, a, a long finish you know it's we got- really do dissect them each blend almost as if they were wines and that level of com- we like complexity we like layers we like the aromatics on it to yeah. smell beautiful you know yes so, and we look and yeah a lot lots and lots of things don't cut it huh. we, we can take the best barrels out of the all of them and put them together and <laughs> go they, that's crap yeah <laughs> <laughs> our favorite barrels put it together and go that's well, terrible that, that, that's not gonna work you think it makes sense i right? take but, a lot of notes and you know sometimes you've got undrinkable <laughs> period <laughs> and once in a while you go now that's delicious. Yes, yeah. <laughs> or there's just hearts all around yeah. it in my in my book. Typically, how it's, big? It's are funny the... because that's what my tasting notes are. I put hearts around the stuff that he makes for me too. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. You just need to write me a book next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yep, the central art of blending. That's, That's right. right. There's an, another book in the works. So. so how big are the batches typically? Like how many barrels are you doing that? Well, we've got, if you uh, care to share. Yeah. Them. No, it, it's, it's, no it, it's really easy. It's uh, sometimes we've been doing some very small batches, which are three barrels. We started with a three barrel, uh, very small batch. And now we're doing some five barrel, a uh, very small batch. And those go to? They, they go to each state uh, or distributor that we have. We have seven distributors. So we have seven that we're putting together right now. There are five barrels blends. Uh, but the ones that go out mostly for national distribution uh, now are trying to get to be about 3,000 bottles, which would probably be about 20 barrels, you know, mm-hmm. at the most, 13 to 20 barrels. Yeah. yeah. Depending on how Depending on the barrels, are. you guys know. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm interested to know, kind of see like how you all go through about this only because it's like, as we've gone through this own journey ourselves, you've been able to create something that's almost a little bit like lightning in a bottle. Because when we started down this path and they said, oh, we're going to create all these different batches and da, da, da. And they're like, don't do that. Don't do that because it's too confusing. The consumer doesn't know. But somehow you all have amassed a, a very loyal following where it seems that it's like it doesn't matter what the masses say. Like you have got the, the, like the ear and the heart and the eye of like the bourbon geek. And they have really latched on to what you all are doing. Mm-hmm. Kind of talk about like, how did you, how did you figure out like what your marketing approach is? Like, did you say like, let's go wide and thin and try to find people? Or was it just like, let's, let's find a marketing approach. <laughs> Not really. You know, we just did what we really loved ourselves. And, you know, we have like really about four SKUs. We have the, you know, we started with the rye and then we did an American whiskey, which we kind of fell in love with. I was the marketing with. department, but wait, she's here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we said, well, we'll do bourbon, you know, and each, each time we do it, whatever batch it is, it's going to be a little bit different. We knew that. And then we did the Kentucky whiskey, which is another one we have. And we have some single barrels. So we don't have a lot of different things. We have five, I think basically five SKUs mm-hmm. is what we really have. Yes. And I think in all seriousness, and I like to find the silver lining in things. And I think crazy 2020 and the timing of our, of this brand. I mean, we did our first releases in 18, 2018. That is correct. I think we released five products that year. And then one of them's right here on the shelf. I think rye. It is. I have rye batch one right that, here. The, yeah. That was rye one and two went off yeah. together. That was the very first thing we let go. So, then of course, you know, 19, we're ramping up, we're getting excited, we're buying buildings in Kentucky and planning more routes here. And we've got one in Lexington and one here. And then we're like driving around the Friday before the shutdown. And, and we had the, just got to Louisville. Yes. Too, and it was and like Louisville was like blowing up. It was just cracking off. Up. Everything's yeah. just like tons of people. And oh, yeah. so we're like, yes, so this happy is going to be awesome. We made the choice to uh, Come to Louisville. And literally a week later, or that Monday was when it was COVID, like, yeah, it's really bad. And it's over for a while. But, you know, that didn't deter us. We could continue to do what we did. And I'm yeah, sure you guys you, did you the same. You own that. You had that building right there yeah. already. And by the way, for me that doesn't know, it's literally connected next to Justin's House of Bourbon right there. And so that's where- First it's Market, yep. 105. Yes. 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 That's where the old Carter Social Club is housed and our little HQ for all of our processing right now. So anyway, what 2020 allowed us to do was to really connect with people. So we had been, um, you know, I would 
Eric Kim, Scotch and Time, had reached out really early um, in our journey. And in fact, it was kind of funny because he reached out via Instagram. And, and so I'm doing the Instagram account. and Because and you're also on the social media team. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only two, like, like, you know. Dial, dial five or something. Yeah, yeah only, I think we're on like six now, right? <laughs> there's only two of us. So, you know, at this yeah, point. This yeah. is before, before we had Jay and Brian. So, yes, I, yes. That was happening. That is happening still. So I think it's good when you, you say, well, let me get the uh, marketing department and <laughs> yeah. they put the phone down. Yes, marketing. Change your voice slightly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Eric's texting me and he's saying, you know, I know that you guys did Kentucky Owl. I was a big fan of that. And he was like, I'm really interested in what you're doing. And I think he was saying without saying, like, you should send me some stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> and who, and I was over like, who it. who are you? I was yeah. over it. Like, oh, yeah. I was over it. Who are you? <laughs> and I, I was just like, I don't know, a couple things that happened that day. And I was just like, who am I talking to anyway? And he goes, uh, I'm Scotch and Time. I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. It was like instant love fest. And then we just so happened to be going to, um, my, one of my sisters was getting married. I have a bunch of sisters. We were headed to Washington, D.C. for uh, her little gathering, and Eric was doing a Scotch and Time event at the same time in D.C. So the stars aligned. He's like, you know what? I just want to meet you guys. Just come and crash my event. And we showed up, and we we took the two rise of bourbon and a 27-year very old Carter. And we just hung out at the end of his thing, and it was really casual. Met a whole and we got to meet a bunch of influencers at that time, and that was really a, a very cool early connection that I guess was just meant to be. And then we've we've been very active and making connections with people on social, and we did a lot of YouTube Zoom stuff and like we all, all that you stuff, know. you know, during COVID. During COVID, so Where it all just kind of happened. We were here. And so it we, was, were we were very happy that we were lucky. <laughs> yeah, we were upstairs yeah. at the Omni. We had an apartment there. Which we never uh, intended to spend more than two weeks in yeah. <laughs> at a time. We were there for nine months. Yes. Oh, like, oh my upstairs. gosh. Oh, cool. yeah. I guess there's worse places to be. Yeah. And the the entire walk-in closet was full of Badge 3 American whiskey. So I was fine. Yeah, sure, sure drank most of it. <laughs> yeah, plenty of Slow down. We, we've got a bunch of samples. Drink the sample. Drink the sample. <laughs> I, can, I can sell these still. Yeah. <laughs> these full bottles uh, that have a big crack. You don't want to drink those rejects. Yeah. So we did. I think that's how we made a lot of connections through that that time. And and Mark was able to work on the building at that time. And so it all just kind of yeah. Where the idea how for the social house come up come from? Was that yeah, from well, your brick and mortar in California? Was, the success of that, or well, we went a little to, different. Yeah, we went to uh, an event down in San Diego, and it was for cigars. No, and actually, it's and, with uh, Eric, with Eric, and uh, we looked at they had lockers and stuff, and I said, you know, we we could do something like this. Yeah, you know, for our whiskey, and we started working on the idea and, that night, uh, kind of. Yeah. So we wanted to give an opportunity to people who were really into it a chance to purchase bottles that wouldn't be in regular distribution channels in an effort to connect even more with them and give them also a space uh, to come and do it in. So the social club is set up so that you, if you're a member, you can come with five of your friends, your besties, and and we will pour you whiskey for free. 
because you get to take your bottle home. It is our tasting room upstairs, but yeah. the only people who really get to taste up there are the, are the members. kind of the members. club oh. members. They don't get to crack their own bottle. We pour, it's all measured out, and uh, they get to taste everything that they got in their, in their locker and they take it home. But what's really cool is with them bringing in their friends, it's they're all kind of the whiskey community and they get to taste too. And so uh, the word kind of spreads that uh, about, and, and it's so nice that, uh, that they're at suggested retail prices. So, you know, people really know what the price should be because right. you know, we have no control after we sell it to the distributor and we've only made one raise in price in entire last four years that we've been, you know, actually producing. And that was a $5 raise. That's all we've raised the price on yeah. our whiskey. And recession's hitting all of us right now. So $5. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's, that's, that's admirable. Yeah. Yeah. But the space is awesome too, because yeah, very cool. it, it gives people a place to connect with other members. Right. So a lot of these guys know each other from online connections, but here they, they make plans and they come and they're, coming in on the it's same a, day and we're, it's like it, watching the family grow. It's a truly amazing thing, it the, cool. a whiskey community. Yeah. You know, it, we've made so many friends yeah. and uh, people are all really thoughtful. You know, they think about things. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. They sit and sip. Yeah. That's, that's, that's right. Right. Sip, that's sip, sip and think. That's what you need. <laughs> that's what we do. Uh, I mean, that just goes back to my thing is like, I really felt like you all have caught something special here and that lightning in the bottle aspect because you're able to create and capitalize on something that not a lot of the brands have. A lot of brands are, they're out there, they're in stores every single weekend. They're trying to give away samples and just keep trying it. They're sending off bottles to all these competitions. It's like, I don't see you all doing any of that. And I think it's just, there's something there that you all have that people are latching onto. And I think it's just, it's admirable to see that happen too. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. It's very organic, you know, not manufactured. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, very hands-on. Yes, Mark been, was bottling or labeling this morning. Yeah, We bottled last week. It's really organic, too. I still write doing. the labels, all the info on the labels. Not all of it. Jay, Jay splits oh, it with that's me. Like good now, there's, now there's two different handwritings out there. But you're definitely, well, bad, you're definitely a bad really one, though, good. Right? His handwriting looks just like Cheryl. I'm glad he can't sign my name, but he might be able to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to check that. <laughs> so so a lot of your offerings, you know, you said are ultra premium, like a lot of high age. I guess, you know, as we, you probably know that the age whiskey markets like been like ravaged and yes what is you know how have you been able to prepare for that for the future you it seems like you got in a great time you know at 2012 or 20 what was that 20 2012 we bought yeah, yeah. the barrels for the first go around and then you know when that sold we bought barrels immediately in 17 and also we started distilling in 17 okay and we've put up a, about probably 500 barrels you say so still contract distilling yeah. yes okay. yeah and uh, we'll be putting up some more uh, each year. So the you know some of that's already six years old that yeah. we distilled back in seven. I wish. Why didn't you tell us to start distilling? Back then? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've it's been a very like you said organic process, and it's like then one thing leads to another. Well, we we knew after the first brand that you do need barrels, and you know so, sometimes Details. nobody will sell you barrels, so you better get your own barrels. So, yeah, and yeah. that's that's been one of the things that that you all are able to do. It's like, it's been hard for us too. It's just, that it's like, yeah, we have our recipe. We want to make it consistent. We want to do this. And you are like, ah, we'll just choose whatever barrel looks good in this and we can make it work. And I think it's, it's even more of that. It's like, you all have actually been able to capitalize on just what is the American whiskey market, because 
if it doesn't say bourbon on it, people are like, I'm not drinking it. Like how many other brands have come out that says that this isn't bourbon, this is American whiskey and it rots away on the shelves. Like you all have been able to do something that nobody else has been able to do. And I think you all have a, a poll with just the brand and the name that gets people into that category. And they're yeah, like, hey, trust. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think it's, it's very admirable to be able to see that. And then to kind of dovetail on of what that is, is like, so a lot of the releases that you have done have been that, that very high age range. You know, you just said some of the ones you have now are six year is the goal to say like, hey, we're not going to release anything unless it's double digits. Or is it like when it tastes good? What's your what's your thought process in the future there? Our, we've got a sweet spot yeah. and above, I think. You know, that uh, when we first started doing blending, the seven to nine years, you know, Jimmy Rutledge said, you know, that's a sweet spot. And we really believe that now. You know, we can find older barrels. They're really nice. And we can blend those too. Even this, you know, we have the stuff all the way that still 16 year old stuff sitting around. And, uh, but, must be nice when you go to your warehouse. <laughs> yeah. You come to ours, we'll show you some three-year-old whiskey, <laughs> some good three-year-old stuff. And it's funny because we've got you know are, we say they're the six-year-old. Those are still feel young to me. Yeah, you know. And we've got one more year, and we'll start working with those. Yeah. You know, and and every year we made uh, whiskey. You know, made new make, mm-hmm. and so those more becoming, and more yeah. every year. And when we started out really small, anytime they have something left over, a little kind of maybe six barrels or odds and ends, we were good yeah. at, we were, we'll take it. Yeah. We'll take it. The bar, oh, whatever, you know, whatever. The overages. Yeah. The, yeah. We started little, talking to Wilderness Trail When tanks trail get married time, by accident, we, you know, those, those kinds of things. That Wilderness Trail. And they yeah. had like six barrels left over. <laughs> they were going to make a batch for us. And we said, we'll take that six barrels. So we still have six barrels that we got. So we didn't get the contract <laughs> distilling there, but we're we like, we'll, we'll take that six barrel lot. Yeah. yeah. No problem. And we're going to start playing with that real soon exactly <laughs> and exactly. It's dry. yeah it should Ooh, be interesting good. yeah there was one other thing we skipped over that i i think that we should talk about a little quick it was the lawsuits because there was a funny story we started talking about earlier it's because you have you have been riddled with them a little bit and it's just because of the name you got is. and so carter kind of carter is a very common name and it, in the wine business there's like five carters that make wine and all of them, we agreed on, you know, that one would be Carter Sellers. That's me. Uh, you'd have Carter Vineyards. That's Jack Carter up in Oregon. Then you'd have Brian Carter, which is up in Washington. Then you got a James Carter, who's down in Southern California. So we all came to agreements on, you know, what we could call ourselves so there wouldn't be any confusion in the industry. Uh, but I had Cartier come to me many years ago when we first started doing Carter Wines, you know, Carter Cellars, and they said, well, we think it looks a lot like ours. And I said, well, it might look similar. And I said- What, yeah. what looked like? I would They're, like to, full disclosure, I did not do that label for Mark. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and no problem though, because <laughs> I knew and I had my good friend, Fred Schrader, telling me that, you know, uh, as long as it's just as similar, you're going to be fine. And it was red, it was a red label and it said, you know, Carter on it uh, and it said Sellers on it. And, uh, and so it was- they were they didn't like and it the, wasn't jewelry they didn't like the font is that what it, it was yeah they, well uh, also there was a little detail that they were, we didn't know this or mark didn't know this that in internally in cartier he doesn't go they don't invite him to the parties always so he didn't always, know but, this but evidently at their at their event oh, they, they, they have their own champagne yeah but they don't make like, wine but they, they don't sell they, it they don't really make wine so that was none of that really mattered that much but when, when I got to, uh, after about 12 years, they came back because I told them all this stuff that, you know, I don't think there's a confusion. The guy hung up. 
And then we got on the cover of Wine Spectator. Yeah, and they had done the ad on the back of the magazine. Mm-hmm. It was always advertising. Uh-huh. See, yeah. that's that's the problem. You're on the front, but they're on the back. Yeah, they, right. Yeah. That's that's the problem. And they paid for it. And they paid <laughs> for it. Yeah. Yeah. And they probably got the box of magazines, and somebody opened it up and went, "What? Who are the? these guys? They look. It looks like ours. <laughs> it looks similar. You know." And so they came at me again, and I was fortunate enough to have a good uh, insurance company protected me and i went into a, a meeting and you know the first thing they they did was this oh that was this was really funny this guy <laughs> actually is the kind of the trademark uh, arbitrator or judge and he said well you know i've never heard of carter sellers but i've heard of cartier and the guy whips out a cartier pen i said oh shit i'm gonna be in trouble here <laughs> with this deal and i said oh well and I, I had my my attorney there my trademark attorney with me and so we end up going in to, and start talking and you know, they say all the same things. And I said, well, it may look similar, but it's not the same. It's not the same font. It's not the same color. It's this and that. And, you know, eventually they could see that they weren't going to push me around a little bit. And uh, they said, well, well, how much is it going to cost to basically have you change the label? I said, well, you know, give me a a price. And they gave me a price and it wasn't very much. And so I said, well, at that point I go, well, I have a checkbook here. Let me write that and you change your, your label. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they go, oh, we're oh, in trouble yeah. here. So they offered me some more and I said, no, that's not enough. And then they finally offered me what I said, okay, that's plenty. I will be able to do something with that because there's a lot of marketing. I've been doing this for like 12 years now and I've really built up something here with this you know, trademark. And so they gave me enough money and I would turn to Sherry and I paid her $10,000 to do the label. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know a really good label maker. Yeah. <laughs> the in-house the marketing department. Oh, yeah. you got it. <laughs> Prompt four. <Yeah. laughs> and they were happy and I was happy and we, yeah. Yeah, it's been great. Yes. <laughs> and then you also had something against old charter versus old Carter, right? Kind of yeah. talk about that one too. Well, nothing it, happened. Nothing happened, you know, a cease and desist. But, you know, again, it's, you know, it's a com. my name's common, um, but charter and Carter are not the same word. No. And the labels don't look anything different. But, you know, uh, most major corporations You mean have, the same. Yeah. They don't look anything the same. They don't look anything the same. <laughs> Yeah, they, don't, they, don't, they, don't they look different. They're not even the same. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, all major companies have uh, trademark attorneys, and you know they they need to do something. <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah. all press press dial nine for your in house attorney department, right? Uh, Who picks up that call? Yeah. <laughs> Mark or Sherry? <laughs> yeah. uh, I yeah, don't know. But yeah, that's that, that's one of those things. But y'all, I mean, this has been a fascinating kind of journey to understand more along the lines of your background, your history, where you came from and how you are building and growing this brand. For us on this side of the table, we look at what you are doing and it's very admirable. I mean, that's what I've said, just because of, of what you've been able to capture and how you've been able to market and how you're able to just basically drive demand through it is it's, it's really, it's something not a lot of brands can achieve. So it's really kind of cool and how you've been able to kind of see that happen. So congratulations on all the success so far. 
Totally. Thank, Thank you, you, Jenny. Thank you, Ryan. Yep. Appreciate it. Yeah. So if people want to know more about Old Carter, who do they dial to, you know, dial one for you, <laughs> dial two? No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, how do they uh, you know, follow more along the lines of what you do? You can go to our website. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the Instagram uh, account is really, you know, while we get a lot of, uh, you know, we both have our own Instagram accounts too. While I'm, you know, Sherry's uh, old Sherry Carter <laughs> and I'm uh, Mark Carter 52. Not young Mark Carter? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> See, that would have been the good anomaly. I went the Andy Warhol direction. I'm like, you know yeah. what? But I'm yeah. just gonna, I'm just gonna embrace it. Yeah. So, um, and then of course our our regular account is Old Carter Whiskey Co. And then the website is that dot com, and it's easy yeah. to find us. And we answer, you know, anytime you guys you know reach out to us, we're, yeah. we're happy to tell you what we're doing. And uh, we do a, we be occasional pop ups at the distillery yeah, too. That's right. I was gonna we do about uh, those, yeah, those, those fun little pop ups. We do little releases out of there and our regular distribution and in we're in how many states mark we're in 10 states and uh we have seven distributors yes and then the social club yeah well i mean it's, cool. it's amazing so if people want to know more about even say i want to get a locker at old carter like are they sold out like how do i how do i they get are in? sold out there is a wait but list. there is a wait list but just like just like getting the damn crepes now isn't it <laughs> yes <laughs> it all comes back to just like just that allocation oh uh, but you, on the website there's a, a request form to but be added we, to the list for info. We are getting info. more lockers assigned. Yes. And so we, we hope to be able to supply the locker program too. Again, production it's, is what will say how many lockers we can have. Exactly. You know, how much can we produce to yeah, sure. still take care of our, our three channels, which is our distributors, you know, our own, uh, the lockers and the pop-ups that we, we don't have more. More lockers than bottles, I guess, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what we have always done is we... The two of us are committed to making the best product that we can. If that means we're going to make less of it, we make less of it. It's, it is what it is. And that's that's one of the things I think really what you always have to look for is when you're buying something, you know, it's the taste. And you know, we want something that tastes really great that people want to keep coming back and buying. Absolutely. And I think what's in the bottle is the most important thing. Yes. You know, for sure. Well, y'all, like I said, amazing to have you all on the show today. Understand more about your background and where you came from. It's it's amazing. And I guess now if you're going into Upper Napa, Northern Valley, you got to go and check out Carter Cellars while you're up there too, right? We would love that. Yes. Yeah. And we, we do actually have regular tasting days and uh, you can make an appointment, come in and taste some wine and buy some wine, actually. And Mark might even be there. There you go. <laughs> Who knows? He might actually be there. You never know. <laughs> you never know. He'll bring out bourbon and then here's your wine too. You get, no, you get he can't the, bring out the bourbon. Well, you can't that, bring out the bourbon Well, there? the government doesn't like you to do it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll sell it in the back of the car. There you go. <laughs> he is yeah. an old bootlegger. That's yeah. That's right. <laughs> Pull out the big trench coat. Yeah, That's bourbon too. Yeah, there you go. That and your your fake Rolexes and such a trench coat. Yeah. <laughs> so just so you can get Scotch and Tom's, you know, some some watches. There you go. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Shout out all, to Eric. Uh, I was like, all comes back to Eric. There. That's right. Well, cool. So make sure you follow Mark and Sherry, but also follow Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get your podcast. Leave a review. Share it with somebody else. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Doodles. Doodles.